It's good to see you today. I appreciate the guys that stood in for me when I was gone. Just gone a few days, but you need to spend some time with your mom as long as you can, because eventually it comes a time when you can't. And it was sure nice to see my mom, and, and uh, I blame her for my sense of humor. I blame her for lots of things, and so we have a good time when we get together, because uh, I have a good relationship with my mom. She's, she's uh, quite a lady, and got to see one of my sisters that I usually don't get to see, and and nephews and nieces and stuff, and it was really a blessed time. I got to see one of my ne nieces. They have a ranch down in Oregon, and uh, she got to kill nine wolves. That would be fun. I don't think she killed all of them, but uh, she told me that uh, once the wolves come in and get one of your calves, and she raises goats, if they get one of your goat kids, they won't stop till the whole flock's gone. They kill not just to eat, but they kill to, to, for fun, too. And uh, so with the department of, what is it, uh, anyway, she worked in conjunction with the um, uh, Fish and Wildlife, and they were able to get rid of that pack. Now, there's lots of other wolves there, but they got rid of that pack, and I had a good time visiting with her, and just a good time. You need to spend some time with your family and your friends, and time goes so quickly. Who would have thought, Steve said in Sunday school, how did we know how quickly we get to the age that we are? And it does go by fast. And uh, it's hard to believe that, uh, was it this week? One of my sons turned, my second son turned 31. And the years just go by, don't they? But it's sure good to see you here today. And, and some of that is kind of an inspiration, if you will, for today. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm especially going to direct your attention to uh, just the very, very uh, uh, foundational, uh, fundamental part of it. It is in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 2, but it, uh, in verse uh, 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. These are just, it's not even so much as a strong doctrinal position, it's a very practical thing for us to do. I had one of those dads that my friends were mostly scared of, and I'm so thankful for that today. Um, I want to be that, especially if someone's courting my daughters, okay? Uh, um, I was talking to, maybe it was Andrew, I said, yeah, I just want to make sure I'm out there cleaning my guns when they come to meet me, you know? Just, just so they know, you know? You just, I'm not threatening them, uh, but there are some foundational truths, and it doesn't matter if you've gone anywhere. When I was on this little trip, it's a short trip, I saw divorces everywhere, I saw unhappiness, single homes, all kinds of problems everywhere. And that's because we're humans. It doesn't mean that there's something nasty and dirty or we should look down at people. We take people, God takes people from where they are. And I'm so glad that you were without hope when you came to Christ. And now you have hope and joy and rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And that's just common sense from this passage here. Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, we are supposed to walk in love. And love is defined find, uh, if you will, the fruit of love. Charity is long-suffering, kindness, good, gentleness, meekness. In other words, love is this, that you think of someone else before you think of yourself. 
If that were the case in children's lives as they grow up together and their squabbles amongst them, if you think of the other person instead of yourself, a whole bunch of those squabbles go away, don't they? Doesn't mean all of them will, but a whole bunch of them do. It says we're to walk in love. And in verse, the second part of verse, uh, uh, verse 2, it says we walk in love as Christ loved us and hath given himself as an offering to a sacrifice to God. In other words, God's love is displayed by giving. God's love is displayed by getting, uh, giving. Now that's especially contrasted in the world. Look at verse 3. But fornication, all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And it goes on and spells something out in that kind of negative standpoint. It's really talking about the lost world around you. This world is completely different than walking in love, isn't it? If they profess a love for you, it's probably because they want something. You say, well, that's, that's awfully cynical. Isn't that the way it really happens? Now, I don't mean every case, but what love is, is you consider the other more than you consider yourself. The Bible says we are to consider the other ahead of ourselves, others better than ourselves. We're told to walk in love. And that is, in verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. If God is love and we love him because he first loved us, what's acceptable to him? When we walk in the love reflected, and we see that in First John, that when we trust Christ as Savior, God's love is engrafted into us. You don't really know how to love until you know the love of God. And that's scriptural. That's Bible, if you will. So we prove what is acceptable to God. This is a very practical stand, uh, passage. You know, the whole reason this came to my mind, my heart came a couple days ago. You know what the whole reason is? I hate to see the heartache that people go through. You ever think of that? the heartache that people go through. I heard of a probably a filing for divorce by one of my friends' kids while I was over there. That's just, it, it just broke his heart. And you see heartache all around you. And it's without, you say, well, if you're in Ephesians 5, you're going to be preaching on husbands, love your wives. I won't even get there. I won't even get there. It's all part of this very practical truth that we are to walk in love. And may it be a blessing to your soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness today. Father, thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ, full and free. But Lord, thank you for giving us your word that it might give us a roadmap to make it through this life where there are many adversaries according to your very word. Lord, bless us today. Give me the words to speak. And Lord, may each heart and mind be open to the pleading of your spirit and that you might have free course to work in our lives as you see fit. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, there's so much heartache out there in this world. And, and one of the reasons I saw one of my nieces was her stepbrother was killed in a car wreck last weekend. And, and, you know, these things happen all the time. And you don't think so much about it until it's someone that's uh, uh, touching your family or a family's friend. There's heartache all the time. Just as a preview, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And notice this, it says in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Isn't that an interesting thing? The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It doesn't say the God of some comfort. Or a God to whom, from whom comfort comes. It says He's the God of all comfort. If you're going to be comforted, it better be from God or you won't get it. He comforts us in all of our tribulations. Why is this a very important message for us today? There are some ways to head off some heartaches, and there are some ways to deal with heartaches that inevitably come. 
But this passage is talking about our walk in love to reflect the Savior that lives within us. First of all, I'll say this. If you would, look at verse 9, uh, no, verse 10. Um, I'm sorry, verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The first thing I'd say about walking in love is manage your relationships. Manage your relationships. Just because someone was part of our family, cousins or, or uh, distant cousins or whatever, my dad didn't let us play with everyone. My dad didn't let us play with all the neighbor kids necessarily. And yes, we weren't deprived, but he protected us from some bad things. You know, if you look back in your life, you'll find some friends that led you astray. And the best way to keep out of some problems is manage where you spend your time. Make sure you manage where you spend your time. It says in uh, verse, uh, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, we avoid darkness, don't we? And it says no fellowship with them. Now, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in other places in the Bible, it tells us to be careful about our body, but we can't leave the world. We're a witness to this world. But there's a difference between being a, a nodding friend or a, a companion at work to spending your time in fellowship with them, isn't there? Hey, I'm never tempted to go with a crowd that goes and wants like I did in high, in high school where you go with a crowd I was never invited, where they say they're going to have a kegger over the weekend. And you know, nothing good comes from a kegger. When we had a sheriff in our church, he said that's the day that they hate the most. Uh, senior, uh, senior sneak week or whatever it is, just before the seniors graduate from high school, it's known that they're going to have a kegger out in the woods. And you know what's funny? He said this. This is from a policeman's standpoint. When they have that kegger out in the woods, someone calls it in. They find out where it is. A bunch of police cars descend on them. All the kids scatter, and they cannot leave that place till everyone's accounted for. And if they arrest someone, the parents are mad at them. They're just kids having fun. But if one of those kids drives drunk and gets killed, they're mad at the police for not stopping it. I was never invited to one. You know why? I didn't run around with that crowd. I, didn't, I had a crowd that went to church, and I can't tell you I was everything I should have been then, but those were my friends. You make sure, like my mother told me many times, make sure your friends are stronger than you. I know that's impossible for everyone. Make sure you're going to be a good influence on your friends. Make sure the friends you pick, the ones you spend most of your time with, have a good influence on you. I spoke with one of my old friends from high school, and I'm afraid to say it's over 50 years ago I saw him last. And now he's being made a deacon, and he's preaching, filling in for other people in the church. And he's gone through some heartaches in his life, yes. But you know, you make sure your friends are the kind that will lift you up and make sure you're that kind of friend. It says, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know what fellowship is? We sat, there were six of us men at the table yesterday, and we sat there and laughed, and, and some were talking on this end of the table, some were talking at this end, sometimes it would go back and forth. You know what we were doing? That's fellowship. You have the same ideas and ideals in mind. You have this idea of fellowshipping together. It doesn't have to be always on talking about spiritual things because sweet fellowship with God's people is sweet fellowship, isn't it? 
just don't settle down with a lost crowd. Hey, you're not better than they are, but I don't want, I mean, if you're going to sleep with a hog, you're going to smell like one. That's all there is to, to it. You avoid the darkness. The Bible says it's unfruitful works of darkness. Fruit is something that's good. I drank something out of mango or something like that. Man, that was good. One of my nieces brought it to me and served me, or my sister did. I don't know. I thought, man, that's good stuff. You know what fruit is? It's something really great that comes from the ground. Isn't I mean, fruit is something that is a natural result of growth or life. And there is no good fruit from darkness. No good fruit from darkness. Uh, I stayed in the basement of my sister's house, and it's a nice room there, but it has a bedstead that, that the bed sticks in and the corner sticks out, and every time I went around that, I banged my shin on it. You know why? Because it's in darkness. Hey, if it's bright and shiny, if I have the light on, I don't do that. Darkness doesn't give good fruit, does it? It doesn't give good fruit. You know what's true? The Bible says in John 3, 19, because men love darkness rather than light, their deeds were evil. They didn't want to be exposed. They wanted to be a crowd that, they wanted to be with a crowd that wanted the same things. The most basic things that you can do is manage your relationships. I had dad to help me with that. Have no fellowship. That is, they're not your best friends. Many times people get saved. They've been through high school, maybe college. They get saved. They're so excited about it. And the one that they thought was their best friend wants nothing to do with it. Why? They love the world and their life in the world more than they love you now that you don't want to be in the world. Have no fellowship with them. What is the goal for their influence? You know what it invariably is? Oh, come on. Let's go back and do some of the same old things. Well, I don't do those. So I'll go with you. And it goes downhill from there. Have no fellowship with them. And what about the time it takes? Do you know how fast? I know. I heard it when I was a teenager, too. The years are going to go so fast. <coughs> You're never prepared for how fast they go. And at the end of your life, almost without exception, people say this, and it may be without exception. I wish I had surrendered sooner. I wish I had done more. I wish I had spent my time better. And all kinds of things like that. What time do you take? Does it, what dominates your time? But you contrast that with 1 John 1. If a man says he has fellowship with God and walks in darkness, he lies. Now, it's written to believers. You know, they're believers. They're called carnal people. They're believers. They've trusted Christ as Savior, but they spend all their time back in the world. Hey, you have eternal life the day you trust Christ. But if you spend all your time back in the world, you know what you're going to end up with? A whole, at the very, very best, a whole lot of wasted years and wasted opportunities. A whole lot of wasted opportunities. The fellowship with God, you know what fellowship with God is? When you spend time together. When you spend time together. When you not only give Him your attention, but you know that He invites us to the throne of grace, and we can come boldly to that throne, He gives us attention. When I taught school, I'd have kids literally tell me I would stand right in front of my dad and do exactly what he told me not to do because I wanted to find out if he cared enough to notice. They say, well, that's a weird kid. I see that oftentimes with children. Oftentimes. 
we know that when we come before God Almighty, He always notices us. He cares. He welcomes our attention, doesn't He? And that fellowship with God has good fruits, doesn't it? Good thoughts come about because you can just sit there. I, I read in First or Second Peter, unto you therefore which believe He is precious. You know, you can talk about Jesus till you're blue in the face of someone who's lost, and they're not, He's not precious to them. But man, when you talk to a believer, speaking of Jesus makes him precious. You're speaking of someone that's precious to you. That's what fellowship with God is. If your fellowship is with darkness, what's precious is compromised people that will lead you astray. Much rather avoid that darkness and avoid the fruit of that bad fellowship. And <clears throat> But the Bible doesn't stop there. When you manage your relationships, it says you reprove the darkness. Reprove the works of darkness. Reprove that. Um, I remember picking up my best friend on his way to his wedding. He's with the Lord now. I picked him up on my super glide, my Harley. He got on the back of that Harley, and he lit up a cigarette. Are you kidding me? You can't even stop that on your way to your wedding. Now, this isn't a message about cigarettes. But sometimes what our silence is a scent to some things that shouldn't happen. He's with the Lord. He's been dead for eight years. For eight years. I don't know what all contributed to that, whether that did or not. It says when you see the unfruitful works of darkness, we should reprove them. You know what that does? It puts them on notice that that's not a good direction to go in. But you know what else it does? If they don't like your mentality, it's easier not to have fellowship with them. And that's all fine and good. We're, it's all judgmental and all that. When we're the ones doing it, wait till your children are. As parents look at children, you can see some of them that, well, they're just a, a, an explosion waiting to happen. Sometimes that's in a youth group. They're just a problem waiting to happen. And as parents, we see it maybe a little more <clears throat> clearly than we did as kids. But reprove them. If your fellowship doesn't receive reproof, it's the wrong kind of fellowship. In other words, if, if people don't like the, the new uh, positions that you're taking, that may not be the best fellowship. And I don't mean you forsake these people. They're the mission field. There's nothing I'd rather see than my, all my friends in heaven. All my friends in heaven. But it plainly says, make sure that's not the bulk of your fellowship. Make sure it's not. Fellowship comes about with people that are like-minded, doesn't it? Like-minded. You reprove that darkness. The, the Bible says in Zephaniah 3, the unjust knoweth no shame. Later on, it says, uh, uh, verse 12, it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Today, the word shame is not even part of people's vocabulary. Isn't that amazing? That things that were once not only um, uh, wrong things to do, immoral things to do, they were criminal things to do, and today they are defended in public without shame. Why is that? Because not knowing shame means you have an agenda. You don't care what's right or wrong. You want what you want. You want what you want. The unjust knoweth no shame. It's not truth they're pursuing. 
The Bible says in Philippians 3 and verse 19, beware of those that mind earthly things. If all of our attention is on things of this earth, we don't have the time for the things that are permanent, that are eternal. Scott prayed that we'd have someone saved this week. I hope we do. There's nothing greater than seeing someone that passes from going to hell to going to heaven because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the salvation of their soul, as the offering for their sins. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Some, <clears throat> some it's just more apparent than with others, isn't it? And then in verse 13, um, but all things are reproved, are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Hey, the light showed me that corner of that bed that I forget every time in the darkness. Light does that, doesn't it? In the light of the scriptures, it's not so hard to find out what's right and what's wrong. And as parents, that's what we want for our kids. But folks, as adopted into God's family, that's what God wants for us too. He wants us to pursue what is right, doesn't he? Walk in the light. The word of God determines both public and private um, associations for you. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? What fellowship hath light with darkness? My brother did the, all the photography for Capitol High School, the yearbook in Boise, Idaho many years ago. And on the dark room, there's a great dark room, it said, don't open the door, all the light leaks out. Now, we all laughed when we saw that. You know why? Because the light doesn't leak out. The dark doesn't leak out. The light goes in, doesn't it? What fellowship has light with darkness? Where there's light, where there's a source of light, the darkness flees away. And we're not to have fellowship with darkness. We're not to have fellowship with darkness. Just think how many crimes happen and kids get caught up in some criminal activity. Why? Because the friends are doing it and they do it as a mob. They wouldn't have done it alone. That's what it's talking about. On the other hand, how about if you go stand up for Jesus and you go with a crowd? That's the good kind, isn't it? That's because your fellowship is with light. Um, in verse 12, have no... It is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. It means you don't have any interest in the works of darkness. Hey, there are things that go on in this world that unless I have to know about it in dealing with someone, I don't want to know about. Whole bunches of things I'm ignorant about, and I'm not apologizing. Why is it, why would people talk about the wickedness that goes on in the darkness around us? I've heard of witches' covens in this valley. I suspect there are. I don't know where they are. And if I did, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. I'd love to witness to them, and I have witnessed to that. But we're to reprove them. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, I cited verse 19. We can't go out of this world. This is not because we feel superior to the world out there. I'm saved now. I'm better than they are. No, it's not. I'm still a sinner. But I want to make sure my testimony is not tainted by the behavior of the people around me 
I want to make sure my testimony is pure to them that they can know the, the saving uh, grace of Jesus Christ, know the comfort that comes from him, know the direction that comes from him, and appreciate his word that spells it all out for us. The older you get, the more you read this Bible, the more you realize what a brilliant book this is. You can study it for years. Uh, <coughs> Uh, I just, Nora hung some stuff in my office wall, and one of them was my ordination. Now, I wasn't ordained till I'd been out of college many years, but it's coming 40 years since I was ordained. I think that's next year. That's a long time. That's a long time. And all I'm finding out is, though I've learned a lot in the Bible, I'm finding out how complex that book is and how much I love to study it. You'll never exhaust this book. Now, just to tell you how weird I am, I used to read my dad's motor manuals because I got that car gene. I like cars. My kids will say, you see a taillight, you know what it is? Yeah, generally, yeah. Not the new cars because I don't care about them, okay? You do that. I'd read the motor manuals because I would look through that. How many would, this found, would you find interesting? I'd see what the bore and the stroke was on the engine. Steve, I knew would. I'd see what the bore and the stroke was. I saw, oh, this engine is this block with this crank, and I like that stuff. And you know what? You can get pretty good at that. You'll get better at the Bible, but you'll never exhaust it. It's such a wonderful book. It's such a one. They say sin will keep you from this book, but the book will keep you from sin, which is the basis of the message today. You want to stay away from that sin because sin has really bad fruit. Ask David, King David. But in verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So the first thing we look at is manage your relationship. Secondly, live as if you're alive. Now, sleep is a picture of death, isn't it? I went by some horses the other day, and I'm always tempted to honk the horn. If they're stretched out, if I honk the horn, usually they perk up. If they don't, I worry about them. Why? Really, you can't necessarily tell the difference between someone sleeping and someone dead. Because one looks like the other, doesn't it? He tells us to awake. We're to live as if we are alive. There's a life in Christ Jesus the world knows nothing about. And we're to live as if we're alive, because we are alive. Romans 13, 11 says, redeem the time, because time is short. Time is short. My friends from high school, <clears throat> I've already lost at least 20 of my high school graduate friends. At least that, probably way more than that. Way more than that. The years go by, don't they? From one high school, I've lost, uh, I think it's 18. And that was the smallest high school because time is so short and it goes so quickly. The Bible tells us to, that we are to awake, to arise, to live like we're alive. And 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us something about shameful. He says, awake to righteousness and, and, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. You know what the next part is? I speak this to your shame. If there are people around you 
that don't know you're a Christian, that don't know the way to heaven. The only way to heaven is simple. A six-year-old could come up here and preach the gospel to you, and you'd know what the gospel was. It is Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. That rising again is what means his sacrifice was accepted. A child can preach it. A child can. Well, it's shameful when people around us don't know how to go to heaven. It made all the difference in my life. Does it make all that difference in your life? When I die, I'm going to heaven. And that's not because I'm good. It's because I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. Well, we sleep. Sleep is the picture of death. But light is also associated with understanding. The Holy Spirit of God brings truth to us, brings an urgency to us. This is just free for you to think about. You know what people get into today? They look at others and they say, how come they get this and I don't? Lots of people are unhappy about that. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, and this is profoundly simple. Verse 12, be not like those that compare themselves among themselves. For comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know why that is? In Matthew 5, Jesus said, the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And that rain that comes down and gives you a prosperous year, it gives the guy next door a prosperous year too, and he might be lost. But if I'm saved, whether I have a prosperous year or not, I'm going to heaven. He won't be until he gets saved. So if we just look around us, you're going to find someone that seems like their best. But folks, if you're not saved today, your best day in this life is better than the, is, uh, is uh, worse than my first day in heaven. And you think about it. You think about it. The worst day in this life, the worst day is, is better than the best day in hell. If there is a best day, I don't want to go there. I don't want anyone else to go there. That's the simple truth. You, The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Ecclesiastes 9 tells us, by the wisest man that ever lived. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Because there's nothing else you can do after you're dead. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. Give it everything you've got. Don't compare yourselves with others. We're talking about love here. That means if you're not comparing yourselves with others, when someone gets a blessing, you rejoice with them. When someone has a setback, you weep with them. The way the flesh wants to say is, if they have a setback, you just feel better now because now they know what you go through. That's not what love is. That's not what love is. And this conviction, I think Steve used it this morning in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It doesn't matter what comes your way. If you need to do that, you'll be able to do it. And I can assure you, you can do more than you ever thought you could. That's just the way life is. Light is understanding. You get those principles from the Bible. Look for answers to your needs in the Bible. Look for comfort from the scriptures. Look at those things. Get, you know, let the standard for your life be the Bible. And then last of all, live with urgency. Live with urgency. Look at verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. That means you buy back the time that was wasted. I guess what that would mean is, more than anything else, you 
multitask. Now, my wife tells me men don't multitask. There's probably some truth to that. I focus on one thing. She focuses on this and has this going, and she sets her watch, and I went home and complained last night there wasn't any bread in the house. Now, there was bread in the house, but there wasn't sourdough bread. And we had to walk through Costco the other day, and I said, oh, should we get some of that sourdough? And she looked at me. So she made sourdough bread last night. So we're relaxing. She sets her watch. Pretty soon it dings and then or vibrates. And she, I got to go change that. She takes care of that. In other words, she multitasks. I don't so well. I don't so well. But you know what redeeming the time is? I guess you could say it's spiritually multitasking. When I have to drive down the road, I try to be on the phone and take care of some business while I'm on the phone. When I, when I am, uh, I like menial tasks. I never minded digging ditches. It's not my favorite thing, but you know why? It, you could train a monkey to do it, and your brain can go every direction otherwise. You don't have to think about what you're doing. You know what redeeming the time is? Squeeze every value you can out of every moment of the day. That's the difference. Uh, they just had the Super Bowl. I don't watch it much anymore, really. Uh, I got tired of people kneeling for the national anthem. You know, I'm making $30 million a year, but uh, we're oppressed. I don't think so. But you know what a football team is or a basketball team or soccer or anything else? It's a whole bunch of people that are there because of their talent, and they contribute to teamwork. That's what a church is, which we looked at last week. You were placed here to serve a purpose, and, and you are good at that purpose. What we do in redeeming the time is make every moment count. Every moment count. We want to do that, don't we? You know how fast grandkids grow up? My oldest is eight now. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. And I started late. Redeem the time. It doesn't take long till the years are gone. And so many times the family goes every direction. I have a son in Kansas. I have a daughter in Iowa. And, you know, you don't get together like you used to. You redeem the time to make, make the very best use of your time. And for believers, that's whatever is done for Christ is going to last. Hey, read your Bible. You get more familiar with it. Hey, pray, you'll be a blessing to someone else. Hey, think about other people and just tell them you're praying for them. Hey, read your Bible to figure out how to do some things right and maybe share that with someone else. We're told to reprove the wicked. I ran into someone this last week who was, I told Steve this yesterday, who was um, just retired from the military. She said she was in the Israeli Defense Forces. Wow. Wow. And I got to talk a little bit, invited her to church. I don't know if she'll ever come or not, but she thanked me for inviting a Jewish girl to church. I hope she does come. Fascinating. Fascinating. You know what you do? Wherever you go, have a pocket full of tracts and give a tract to someone. People will respond to a tract sometimes years later. They'll put it in their wallet and forget it's there. Redeem the time. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Walk in circumspectly as if you expect rattlesnakes in the path. You're not enjoying the sunrise and the sunset when there are rattlesnakes all around you. You're watching where every foot goes. 
I remember fishing one time as a little kid and I'm watching the stream as I walked down. And just for some reason, I looked back and my foot was just about to go on a coiled snake. It was probably a bull snake, but a snake is a snake to me. There's really only one way to make them a good snake. And some of those snakes are good, I guess, but I'm not going to gamble. Okay? Man, I about jumped out of my skin. Maybe that's why I don't fish much. Okay? That's what circumspectly walking is. Do you understand the devil is like a roaring lion looking whom he may seeking whom he may devour? You know why you watch circ walk circumspectly? Don't give a devil a foot in your door. Don't do it. Why do we walk circumspectly? Yeah, we redeem the time, but we also walk very carefully. Are you going to walk with wisdom or with foolishness? Verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Part of what you read your Bible for, part of what you pray about is that you might understand God's will for your life. How could Paul say, I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith? Because he found God's will and he accomplished it. Not perfectly, but he finished the job. I never, I never wanted to lose. I have a horrible competitive nature. As a pastor, I've suppressed it as much as possible. Okay? And I didn't want to be a good loser because I figured it would take practice. That'll come true to you in a minute. I didn't want to practice losing. I want to be a good testimony more than anything else. But do you understand that the way we conduct ourselves is our testimony of Jesus. And if you can't take a loss graciously, then you've probably lost your testimony to have any power for someone else. I want people to see Jesus in me, don't you? I want that. And God's will should take precedence over yours. And notice this in verse 18. It says in verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with spirit. Someone drunk with wine will sell anything to get that next drink. They will, they uh, have lost their inhibitions, and they, uh, they are not there. Many times, their personality has changed. We're supposed to be filled with the spirit. You know why? When the spirit's in you, a timid person can have the strength to go and talk to someone. When we're filled with the spirit of God. We just about have to speak the words of life to someone. Or it's almost too much. And that next verse is a result of all this. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're not likely to be doing that if you pick the wrong crowd to run with. But when you run with God's people, hey, singing is wonderful. I have no doubt that when our special speaker comes, our piano would be going a lot. Not just the one here, the one in the house. I have no doubt about that. Why? Because we want to sing and make melody in our hearts. Maybe one of the reasons I like a piano is you can hide behind the sound of it sometimes. And I'm not even being silly. Singing and making melody. Have you ever just looked at a sunrise and a song came to your heart? You look. My mom looked over my shoulder the other day. And she said, look at that sunset. And we sat and rejoiced and prayed. My mom's sister is the one that led me to Christ. We sang and rejoiced and 
all of those things because there's joy in our hearts. And that's what gives us a, a powerful testimony, a walk with the right kind of fruit, and a sweet fellowship with our Savior. That's what we want. That's what we want. Let me ask you this. Is your life a good influence on others or a bad one? I'd sure like to be able to tell you I'm never, I never have this little black cloud over my head. I do sometimes. I do. Are you the right kind of fellowship? The right kind of company for people? Do you give silent assent or reproof to those that find themselves in darkness? Hey, if you just stay silent, people will figure you agree with them. Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. They may not like that, but that's scriptural. And what about this? Are your thoughts set on the immediate? That is sometimes acceptance in the crowd or, or um, things that are short-sighted or on the permanent. I want to live a life that affects eternity. Do you? You know what happens then? God gives you some blessings that really the world doesn't know about. Not because you're better than anyone else, but if you sow the right kind of fruit, uh, seed, you'll reap the right kind of harvest. And nobody apart from Jesus has ever lived a life sinlessly. But the harvest still can be good, can't it? Harvest still can be good. Just some thoughts there, and the rest of the chapter continues these thoughts. We're not to walk in darkness. We're to walk in the light of life. We're to pick our friends and, and make sure our influence is right. And then the bottom line is we sing to ourselves in, in uh, joy and gladness. Is that the commentary on your life today? If it's not, God has given you, when you got saved, all the equipment you need to live a life of rejoicing. But if you're not certain you're going to heaven when you die, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? I would, because I got saved a whole long time ago. I would go to heaven when I died. Why? I'm still a filthy sinner, but I have a wonderful Savior. And he took me just the way I was. And the beginning of uh, when you get saved, it starts with this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you've never prayed that and trusted Christ as Savior, you should seek me out afterwards. And we can settle that most important question of all. Let's pray.